Please turn in your New Testaments to Acts 15.36. Acts 15.36. Men are like grass, like the flower of the field. They wither and die. But the Word of our God, it stands forever. And this is God's holy Word. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. And Paul chose Silas and departed. And having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. A lot of good things come out of disagreement. Our country was born out of disagreement. I think our country is a good thing. I would even use the word exceptional this morning about our country. But you know, you've got to realize there are two sides to every argument, and there's two sides to that one as well. We, on this side of the Atlantic, don't like to share both sides, but we like to remind people that it's not fair to tax people without representation in Parliament. Taxation without representation is tyranny. And we need to have our own country, we need to have our own government, and we need to have adequate representation by our government, by the people and for the people. But you know, there was another side to it. The British had just spent 40 million pounds. That's kind of like the trillions that we talk about today. They just spent 11 years fighting what's called the French and Indian War. For the sole purpose of hanging on to the colony so that the colonists could hang on to their houses and their land. And in those days, though the colonists didn't have adequate representation in their view, they also were not taxed near to the level of British citizens who were represented in Parliament and they were not asked to defray the cost of that war whatsoever. And after that war was finished and the economy of Britain was tanking, the government decided that the colonies ought to be grateful for all that the crown had done for them to secure their lives over here. And, and so they began to tax just a little bit on tea and, and other items. And that was that. That was that. That led to a disagreement. And that led to a bloody separation called the American Revolution. Who was right? Depends on who you ask. All we know is that by the time Hitler was advancing across Europe and was about to go across the English Channel, and there was really no hope for Britain, it was that country that separated from them that came to their rescue and saved them during World War II. And we've been allies for years and years since that time, very close allies. Within families, there are disagreements all the time. And hopefully these disagreements don't end in a separation. Hopefully they end in words like this. Child words would be, I saw we. 
Adult words would be sweetheart, honey pie, sugar bunch, whatever you call yours. I'm so sorry. And even through the disagreement, there is repentance. And there is forgiveness. And there is a strengthening of a relationship. So could we just start into our text this morning by saying that not all disagreement between believers ends badly. Now, the scriptures nor I am trying to give you a license to go out and be disagreeable. You know, because the, the, the outcome, God is in charge of the outcome, so just be as ugly as you want. No, 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 no. But we will look at what God is really like and what we are really like and how the grace of God conquers what we are really like. And the truth is, is that people with real faith in Jesus Christ blow it. Don't we? And we need to understand the big picture. As we are struggling to walk with Him, God's got it. Y'all believe that? God's got the big picture. And the other thing that I I really want for us to grasp this morning is that though people blow it, they grow. Blowing it isn't the, you know, making the mistake, the, the sin, the disagreement. That's not what you write over that person's life. They, they do grow because of sometimes the errors that they have made and, and God is at work in their lives and God even uses that. That's good news. And so what we see here is a massive disagreement that results in a separation, but the kingdom goes forward and people grow. It's a massive separation here. I mean, you know, the first time I read this and and had it explained to me, I just thought, if Paul and Barnabas can't get along, is there any hope for anybody? Grace-captured, spirit-filled believers in Jesus disagree sometimes. And sometimes they even vehemently disagree. And in the middle of Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey, as the persecution, the pressure, as all this is heating up, John Mark deserted them when the heat was on. John Mark quit and literally went back to his mama in Jerusalem. And now in our text... Paul says to Barnabas, he says, you know what? Why don't we go back through those areas that we proclaim the gospel? Let's see how the believers are. Let's strengthen the churches. Barnabas thinks that's a great idea. And and Barnabas says, why don't we take John Mark with us again? And Paul says, ain't happening. Ain't happening. And we can just imagine Barnabas saying, Paul, where's the grace? I mean, all this grace you preach about. Come on now. Barnabas was actually John Mark's cousin. And he was older, so we might say that Barnabas had a lot of what we might call uncle feelings. 
for John Mark. Paul didn't have one uncle feeling for John Mark. Let's give the young man a second chance. We can hear Barnabas saying to Paul. And Paul saying, you know, the guy let us down when it counted. And it's only going to be more dangerous, not less dangerous. And that's not who we need on our team hundreds of miles from home. No. I love how Eugene Peterson in the message puts it. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark along and John, John nicknamed Mark along, but Paul wouldn't have him. He wasn't about to take a quitter. And that discussion got real heated because Paul was talking about Barnabas' people. And Barnabas, after all, was the son of encouragement, right? Can you hear Barnabas saying, wait a minute, Paul. You seem to forget that nobody wanted to take you except me. Nobody wanted to even talk to you had it not been for me giving you a chance. You wouldn't be in the door as an apostle. You wouldn't be going on this journey either. That's all I'm saying about Mark. Give him a second chance. And Paul would not budge. And it gets even more heated. One scholar asked, and I love these words, his name is John Phillips, he asked, what happens when an irresistible force meets an unmovable object? The answer is, they have to go separate ways. I'm not taking no for an answer. Meets, I'm not going to agree with you. And nobody's giving. And that means that good men, godly men, who are equally convinced that they are right, are going to separate because of this disagreement. Now, Luke doesn't even give us any clue whose side he's on. And there are, trust me, there are scholars, commentators, scholars on both sides and you know, you can read, and particularly John Calvin kind of sides with John Mark. And then you can read some of the modern scholars who really side with Paul. But Luke does not give us a clue. What, it, what happens when, when godly people really believe equally they are right? And what happened was that that disagreement led to a separation between Paul and Barnabas. What happened was the apostolic dynamic duo... Split up. I mean, we're just out of the gate. There's three missionary journeys. We're just out of the gate and the dynamic duo's over. And we're not going to hear about Barnabas anymore in the book of Acts. The, the, the focus is going to sh shift totally to Paul. So, there's a massive disagreement that leads to a separation, a parting of ways. But... The kingdom of God goes forward. Now see, we're just not supposed, that's not supposed to be the way it works. But that is exactly the way it works. Basically what we end up with, kind of, I want to give you the bottom line first before we talk personally about it. The bottom line is that twice the ground is covered that would have been covered. 
there are now two missionary teams where there would be one missionary team. And rather than two missionaries and church leaders, there are going to be five missionaries and very important early church leaders that come as a result of this disagreement and this separation. And so they split, right? Barnabas takes John Mark and sails for Cyprus. Remember, Barnabas is from Cyprus. That's the first place they went. So in covering where they had gone, Barnabas went to the first place and Paul went to the second place, which was kind of Galatia, where, they, where he wrote the, the, the book to the Galatians. Barnabas took John Mark, went to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and set out for Galatia. Now, Silas was, a, was an interesting choice for Paul. For several reasons. Silas was the person that the church in Jerusalem, last week we talked about the big meeting in Jerusalem about whether the believers had to be circumcised or whether the grace of God was enough. And the, and the apostles said, you know, you don't have to be circumcised. You don't have to become a Jew to become a Christian. The grace of God is enough. And so they sent a letter out to be read to all the Gentile churches. Guess who they sent out with the letter to read the letter? Silas. So we know Silas must have been very well thought of and highly trusted by the apostles in Jerusalem. That's who Paul said, you come with me. I need you on my team. We're going to parts unknown. It's going to be dangerous. We may not come back. You want to go? And Silas says, yes, he wants to go. Silas also is a Roman citizen like Paul. And we find out in Acts 16, uh, just a, a chapter later, that that comes in handy. That he can go anywhere Paul goes and have the same rights and privileges in all the empire as Paul. And John Mark was not a Roman citizen. It was very unwise in those days to travel long distances alone, partly for safety and just lots of other reasons. It was just better if you're going to take some long journey to have people with you. And so Barnabas takes John Mark and he goes to Cyprus. Paul takes Silas and he goes to the churches of Galatia. And then Paul finds another young protege who becomes kind of the replacement young person for John Mark. His name is Timothy. In the city of Lystra, one of, the, one of the towns in Galatia, this was the town where Paul got stoned. In the city of Lystra, we read in Acts 16, Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple there named Timothy was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer in Christ, but his father was a Greek. And he, Timothy, was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and he circumcised him. Because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was Greek. And they went on their way, as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles who were in Jerusalem, kept stating that freedom in the gospel. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. This is a very young man, Timothy. Um, probably younger than John Mark, in fact. His mother was named Eunice. 
She was a very faithful Jewish lady who had become a believer. And we learn in 1 Timothy that, uh, excuse me, 2 Timothy, that his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois had taught Timothy very well the scriptures from infancy. That, that Timothy had a love for God. Timothy, Timothy had a real, a real hunger, a real curiosity about the things of the Lord. God was at work in this young man's life from a very early age. You can just see God's hand on his life. Well, that's the heritage that he had with his grandmother and his mother who had become believers, possibly at Paul's first visit. But his daddy was another story. His daddy, we learn, was Greek. He was a Gentile. And evidently his father was an official or a man of standing. We're not told exactly. But we, we assume that he was a pretty prominent person in Lystra because it is well known to all the people where they will go in that region that this guy's dad is that person who's a Greek, even though his mother is Jewish. And his father must have been kind of the, wore, wore the pants in the family. Because though he had a godly grandmother and a godly mother who were Jewish, the father would not allow him to be circumcised. Would not allow him to be placed into the Jewish religion officially. And um, Timothy becomes a replacement for John Mark. You know, Paul gets to Lystra, and, and it's like the, the people in the churches are saying, hey, you need to check out this young guy who loves the Lord, has tremendous gifts, and, and God is using him in our midst. And he kind of becomes this person that would take John Mark's place as a protege of Paul. John Philip says, Paul loved to pour himself in the, into the lives of young men. He had a gift for attracting people to himself and attaching them to Christ and the kingdom. Now, don't you find it interesting that the same people who are reading the letter saying you don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian? That's Paul. Suggest that Timothy get circumcised? <laughs> it is kind of ironic, isn't it? And that's what we read in the text. And, and Timothy's mom did something she wasn't supposed to do. Eunice. You're not supposed to marry a Greek when you're a Jew. And Eunice disobeyed the law of Moses and married, and we don't know the dad's name, married Timothy's dad. And that child, therefore, was not allowed to be circumcised which is also a no-no and not what you want your Jewish daughter to do when she grows up and to marry somebody who's not in the faith and not in, being included officially in the people. And, and people knew this, obviously. And so Paul actually asked Timothy to undergo circumcision. And the reason he did it was not so much that he was saying, unless you're circumcised, you can't be a Christian. He said, you know, Timothy, everybody knows your dad. And we love the Lord. 
And we're willing to sacrifice for the gospel. And I want you to go everywhere with me. I don't want there to be one barrier. Me and you, Timothy. Me and you and Silas. And because it was well known that his father was a Greek, Timothy actually underwent the, the, the rite of circumcision as a young man. And he did that for the sake of ministry. So, what do we get? In spite of the split, we go from two good missionaries, Paul and Barnabas, to five. Paul, Barnabas, John, Mark, Silas, and Timothy. Now, it's not a license to be disagreeable. You can read this and say, you know, God God just overrules everything. I don't have to be nice. (laughs) I don't have to be agreeable. Yes, you do. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. And if you're just going to be contentious and claim the name of Christ, if you're, gonna, if you're just going to be a bitter person, if you're just going to be a person that punishes people, divides with people all the time, and a selfish person, that is no way to represent Christ. If you're going to be one of those people that's never wrong, never budges, that's no way to represent Christ. But do you see that even when we do blow it, and we do, and, and, and we get that way. God really is bigger than me and you. And you know, what's so great is, is God even uses our missteps and our sins, even, for his glory. I mean, that feels dangerous almost to say. God uses our sins for his glory. But it is the character of God to be the un challenged monarch of the universe who is moving his kingdom in spite of the fact that true believers struggle and fail and fall and we blow it. And you know what that means? Let's say you just love the Lord. You love the kingdom of God. What that means is you don't have to put the kingdom of God on your shoulders. I think it's very important for the kind of the sensitive souls here today. It's really not up to you. That's good news. You know, sometimes pastors struggle with that. We put the kingdom of God on our shoulders. That is a burden that we should not carry. You need to pray for your pastors that they would not put the kingdom of God on their shoulders, but they would walk tenderly and humbly and faithfully and boldly in the grace of God and be used by God. And the Holy Spirit would work through and also for us as believers and people who love the kingdom. Because God is bigger and God has got this thing. One scholar says it this way. He said, write Romans 8.28 over this whole story. For we know that in all things, even in our sharp disagreements, God works together for the good of those who love God. So there's disagreement. That leads to a sharp separation, and the kingdom goes forward. Like it has in Highlands. And then finally, is that little last part that really, I hope, just is like salve to your soul. And people grow through it all. People grow. People don't stay the same. Uh, We are so imperfect, and we fail And God forgives us because of the work of Jesus already accomplished for us and the basis of his grace. He forgives us every time 
and we grow as we walk with Him. And sometimes our growth comes as much through our failures and our errors as anything else. Isn't that true? Do you experience that? That some of the really most rapid, intense growth that we have in grace comes through our failures and our errors and our sin. I mean, it's not a license to sin. Be careful. And you know, poor Satan. Poor Satan. We, we just keep believing in the reset of God's grace and and as we repent and walk with, with Jesus, he just can't win, can he? I mean, just when he thinks we're going to get discouraged and, and just become nullified, we believe in the gospel and we repent and we cling to the Lord and we are forgiven and we are empowered and we even grow through our issues and Satan is vanquished even that much more. Bless his dark little heart. And the New Testament shows us the growth that took place in both the lives of Paul and Barnabas. We say, no, you know, we're right there in Acts 15, and they're having this disagreement. They're about it. We're like, no, don't let it happen. Don't do it. But God grows them. We, we have to fast forward in, in the Scriptures to, to know this. We have to fast forward 10 years or so. When Paul... Uh, writes in 1 Corinthians 9, 6, uh, in, in his, his first letter to the Corinthians about Barnabas. And basically what, what Paul is saying, he's talking about people who love the Lord and serve the Lord. And he goes, you know, and, and Barnabas and I, is it just Barnabas and I who will do this and sacrifice and, in this way? Basically what Paul does is calls Barnabas a unique colleague among the apostles. He lifts up Barnabas and says, that guy, that guy is my partner. I believe in that guy. And so you, you get the sense as Paul talks about Barnabas that that, that that sharp disagreement has mellowed. That Paul is not bitter. Paul has not erected a wall between himself and Barnabas. And there is not only love, but there is deep admiration and, and, and collegiality. You know, we are on the same team, and I love Barnabas, and, and he is unique. And then there's Paul's relationship with John Mark. I mean, that's kind of the one you worry about as well. I mean, this is the young guy who blew it, and like the Apostle Paul goes, never! And John Mark says, oh yeah, I'm taking him to Cyprus with me. Well... It turned out great in Cyprus with Barnabas. Wouldn't you love to hear that? And he grew. You know, our tradition kind of springs out of the Western church, out of the Roman church. And so the book of Acts really favors and, and gives most of the ink, Luke, who wrote to the Paul. The, the Eastern church gives a lot of ink to Barnabas because that's, Cyprus is kind of where, where part of the Eastern church was and so there's a lot of talk about Barnabas and how incredible Barnabas was after this this split. But you kind of have to go to the Eastern Orthodox to to just hear Barnabas's praises uh, being sung that that loudly and that clearly. But we read in Colossians 4:10, uh, and this is again about ten years later. 
And Paul at this point is in a Roman prison. It's the first, and there's the two imprisonment. There's the first imprisonment. And he's writing to the Colossians, and he writes these words in Colossians 4.10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. Listen to this. And John Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. This is so significant. Paul is awaiting execution. And who does he want with him? John Mark. Is that moving to you? That's moving to me. That's what the gospel of Jesus Christ does in people's lives. Not just people who need it for the first time. But people who walk in forgiveness. Receive it. Give it to others. Experience reconciliation. Experience closeness. I'm about to die. I want John Mark with me. And if he comes to you, you receive him. I wonder why that's put in kind of parentheses in the English Bible. Because maybe it was well known by that time in the churches that Paul and John Mark and Paul and Barnabas and therefore John Mark had a rift. And what Paul is saying is, you know, basically when I'm done and he comes to you, you love him because I love him. Welcome him. Do you see the grace of God in this? Do you see the growth in grace of the Apostle Paul? And John Mark for that matter. Because John Mark could say, Ha ha ha, now you need me. Now you want me. Forget it. Now John Mark makes his way to Rome. John Mark is also there. Imprisoned. I don't know if he's actually imprisoned or whether he is a part of the, the people that were allowed to see Paul. Well, Paul is released from prison. And three years later, he's put back into prison in Rome. And during that time in prison, he writes 2 Timothy to this other person that he finds. In Lystra, the young man, Timothy, who by this time has become a really fine leader. In the early church. Paul's about to die. Timothy is going to, it becomes very important. In fact, if you look at the life of Timothy, what you're going to see, let me just do a little big picture here. What you're going to see, let's go all the way back to Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes down on the believers in what city? Jerusalem. 3,000 people believe. 5,000 people believe. There's a church born in Jerusalem, Right? The church in Jerusalem comes on hard times. There is persecution. People are fleeing left and right. A lot of them go to Damascus. That's where Paul was going to round up everybody. That's where Paul was converted, kind of intercepted by Jesus on the way. But a lot of them ended up, and several new believers ended up in Antioch of Syria. Not Damascus, but Antioch of Syria. And that becomes the new center of this fledgling Christian movement. It kind of moves from Jerusalem with all the persecution and the hard times and the financial hard times. They're always taking an offering for Jerusalem. It moves to Antioch. Ten years later, guess where it goes? It moves to Ephesus. And so the pastor at Antioch is a very important figure. That's why Barnabas was the pastor. And Barnabas went and got Paul back from his hometown after Paul was sitting on the bench. 
10 years. Guess who became the pastor at Ephesus? Timothy. Timothy. And he's writing to young Timothy in his imprisonment. And he says this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 9, 10, and 11. Do your best, Timothy, to come to me soon. Don't you love Paul? I mean, I know he's type A, missionary, church planner, blah, blah, blah. But isn't he tender? Do your best to come to me soon. Because I'm just hurting. And I'm hemorrhaging over here. I can't tell you how badly I've been hurt. Listen. Do your best to come to me soon, Timothy. Because Demas, who is in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens also has left me and gone to Galatia. Titus, who did not desert Paul, has moved on to Dalmatia. Luke alone is here with me in prison. Hear these words. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful to me. I just want to cry. That's a long way from, no way, Jose, the guy deserted us. It's going to be more dangerous. It'll be a cold day in Hades before I let that guy be on my team. Get Mark. Get him. And bring him with you, for he is very useful for me in ministry. Do you see the growth for people who fail? Do you see the power of the gospel for stumbling, failing, misguided, sinning believers? You know, maybe you're thinking you blew it. And you sinned somewhere and in your mind, you say, I'll never get over it. God, God, you know, there was a time when I thought God would really use me in the kingdom of God. I no longer think that. Of course He can. Of course He can. He's bigger. He rules and He overrules. In our adventures, our misadventures, our missteps, our sins, He is gracious and He forgives and He grows us to be used as people who not only talk about grace, but have lived it ourselves. Let's pray. Lord, would You help us to center in Your grace rather than our egos? Would You help us to center in Your will rather than ours? To love you more than we love ourselves. To fear you more than we fear people and situations. And yet, Lord, you, you look at this congregation today, the one preaching, you see how, how frail and falling and stumbling we are. Oh God, we're nothing but your kids. And we thank you that through the blood of Jesus Christ, you love your kids and you... You stay with your kids. And you forgive your children. 
And yet we know our adversary would want to divide and allow the seeds of bitterness and division and unforgiveness and pride to grow up like weeds, like kudzu, to choke us. Would you, by the power of your spirit, cut through that demonic thinking? Would you lead us back to the cool, clear headwaters of the grace of Jesus Christ? Would you have the courage to repent today of your sin or your pride, whether you're the unforgiver or the one who messed up? Would you have the courage to humble yourself beneath God's mighty hand if you are the person who's messed up? that he may lift you up. For he opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And thank you, Lord, that your grace is enough and your kingdom cannot be stopped. We rejoice. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.